0: hi friends we are back this is jessica Demitas coming to you from coast salish territory welcome to our first official season of the seedcast podcast the three episodes that we produced late last year were what we are calling our pilot season those episodes were really fun to pull together and test out did it work well we think so and we are thrilled to bring you new episodes in the coming months. We will get to hear stories from indigenous peoples from all over the world. The format might be a little different, but I'm the same me, and I'm going to be sharing more of my story. I moved to Seattle in a very surprising way. I never planned it, but as a 20-year-old, it just felt right. I've been here for 17 years now. Before Neotero, I worked on regional housing and transportation policy. And when I say those words, I think of someone who really knows a place. It took me a long time to know this place. Lots of conversations with community leaders, trust building, fighting the fight alongside them, lifting up the stories of environmental justice, food justice, farm workers' rights, our struggles are linked. In the very first episode of Seedcast, I shared about my Texas roots. Though Texas is very complicated, I totally claim that really strange backwoods cousin. And as I became more entrenched in the Seattle social justice community, I found myself feeling a little guilty for not fighting for the same justice and rights as for the folks back in my hometown. Maybe I will get there one day. But what brings me peace is that our fights for justice are connected. These seeds grow roots, and those very jagged and complicated root systems link. So I believe the good work we do here is felt all over, and vice versa. It takes time. There are a lot of people helping me out here at Seedcast. Our podcast production team is growing, and you'll get to meet them over the course of the season. And I would love to introduce to you all my co-producer, editor, sometimes tech guy, Felipe Contreras. Hey, Felipe.
1: Hey, friend. Thanks for having me.
0: So you had a chance to meet today's guest, Colleen Echohawk. How was it? How was talking with Colleen?
1: Yeah, interviewing Colleen Echohawk was nerve-wracking. I hadn't met her before and she's done a lot. I was extremely fortunate while producing this episode. I got to learn so much, especially about myself through Colleen. What's beautiful about this story to me is that it really showcases how other people's stories can provide that sort of insight about yourself. As for Colleen, she's an enrolled member of the Pawnee Nation. She's lived here in Seattle for 24 years. She's the executive director of Chief Seattle Club. Chief Seattle Club is an organization here that works to improve the lives of the urban native community. These days, she's just (laughs) running for mayor. Like, okay, no wonder I was nervous. She's running for mayor on the city that sits on Coast Salish and Duwamish territory. If she were to win, she'd be the first Indigenous mayor of Seattle. So right now she's extremely busy running her campaign. So I appreciate the opportunity to just be able to sit down and be present with her. By the way, I feel it's important to disclose that a few of us on the production team here at Seatcast have contributed to her campaign. And that Chief Seattle Club is a grantee of Neotero. Also, later in this episode, you may hear some sensitive stories about boarding schools, and I want everyone to be aware of that.
0: I've known Colleen for a couple of years through my previous work, and immediately when I met her and her husband, Matt, I felt like I knew them. Like, you know, really have that kin connection. If any of you know Colleen, you might know what I'm talking about and one would be so
1: lucky. Definitely, Colleen is extremely inspirational. And since it was my first time meeting her, I was really just interested in finding out who she is and what she's like. And like most of us, it starts with how you introduce yourself.
2: At the heart of who I am, I am an indigenous woman. I am an indigenous leader. I am an indigenous mother and wife. I'm an indigenous relative to my community here in Seattle. And everything I am connected to and I'm a part of is connected to that indigeneity. It just cannot be denied because it's such an integral part of of who I am. And I am... First of all, and always, an enrolled member of the Pawnee Nation of Oklahoma, and it's interesting because I never grew up in Oklahoma, nor did I grow up near other tribal members aside from my dad and my siblings. I grew up in rural Alaska, and, you know, as a Native kid in a pretty white town, you know, experienced kind of um, some uh, dissidence there and and just trying to figure out, you know, who I was as as a native person. My parents were very, very good about saying constantly every day that you're Pawnee, you're Pawnee, you need to be proud to be Pawnee. And that was really a formation in my life. And it carries out into the work. It's so embedded in me that I am privileged and honored to be a part of the Pawnee Nation, and my children are as well. Like I, I remind them now as well. And when I think about the way that that impacts my work, it's it it causes it to be one that is filled with that connection, right? That understanding that my ancestors, you know, suffered a lot so that I could be here.
1: While I sat there and listened to Colleen describe her heritage, the land she grew up on, and how her parents encouraged her to be extremely proud of her own indigeneity, it made me think about the ways in which I introduce myself. Like, what if I was being interviewed by somebody? I probably would have said something like, Hi, I'm Felipe Contreras, I'm an associate producer for Neotero. I work on projects like Seedcast. I grew up in Los Angeles, California. I went to school and also now live in Seattle. And I'm Puerto Rican and Salvadorian. But while well, listening to Colleen, that just doesn't feel like it sits right with me. And I'm starting to rethink that. Colleen is an amazing storyteller. And The stories that kept coming up all involved important matriarchs in her family.
2: And I've had teachers in my life who have continued to express the importance of sovereignty.
1: Specifically, she talked about two of them. She told me a story about her Aunt Deborah Echohawk. Others may know her as Debbie. And she's a traditional seed keeper. Aunt Debbie founded a stewardship project that went around collecting seeds of traditional Pawnee plants and food.
2: She had started to try to find our old seeds that our our relatives brought with us from Nebraska and Kansas. They brought with them to Oklahoma, but they wouldn't grow in, in Oklahoma.
1: So she began taking these seeds and documenting them, planting them. All these seeds were on the brink of extinction. So she had the intent to reintroduce them back to the traditional Pawnee lands where they come from, Nebraska and Kansas she feared that her people would never eat their traditional food again and that really motivated her to get out there and do this work
2: and she started going to people and asking like hey do you have any do you know where any of those seeds are are they in your garage are they in your shed in the back or are they a part of like some of your old things that came from Pawnee, Nebraska and she started finding some and she has now brought back many seeds into our community and has a partnership with some really amazing people in nebraska where in nebraska our seeds are back there and they're growing and they're being nurtured by um friends of of the Pawnee nation
1: this is where you really can draw the connection between the energy and efforts of her family to her ancestors all the way through colleen's own efforts at chief seattle club especially their latest effort Sovereignty Farm, but we'll come back to that in a little bit. Colleen grew up in Alaska. She was adopted into an Atena and Athabaskan community. This is where her grandma, Katie John, comes into the story.
2: One of the biggest teachers has been my grandma, Katie. I mentioned earlier that I was adopted into the upwrought Athabaskan community. And so I was very fortunate to get to be um, a part of Grandma Katie's family. She can tell stories about meeting her first white person and having, you know, refined sugar for the first time and all of these firsts in her life. And she also could tell you a lot of really sad stories of her family and how she overcame those sad things that happened to her, including her children being sent to boarding school where she didn't see some of them for a couple of years. One, one thing I always think about with her around boarding schools is she wasn't sure If when they would come back, if they would remember her language, because they when they left, they only spoke Athabascan and they were beaten and abused if they spoke their language and were forced to speak English. And some were little. Right. And would they remember, Would they remember that traditional language. And so she learned English in order to, you know, combat that fear. And it's over and over and over. She showed such resilience flexibility to the times you know of like okay this is coming at us and we're gonna have to adapt she showed such ability to adapt i think about that all the time
1: colleen shows so much appreciation for grandma katie this was evident when she shared to me her story about the time her grandma took on the alaskan government
2: one of the ways that they had to adapt was In the 1950s, the Alaska Fish and Wildlife, the gaming group, they said, hey, you guys are not allowed to fish on your traditional fish camp anymore. And, you know, you have to follow our rules and regulations. And of course, fishing was just such a, and salmon were such an important part of the culture, but um, she adapted, you know, she got used to commodity foods and she learned how to, you know, adapt to Western and colonized methods of cooking and all of that, right? But in the early 90s, there was discussion and and, and actually my dad played a part in this and on um, some relatives of mine with a Native American rights fund. And they said, hey, this is, this is crazy. Like this is your land, your tradition, your way of life that is directly connected to salmon. And it is your sovereignty. And so she started a court case called Katie John versus State of Alaska they started like, fighting for the rights to hunt and fish in the traditional ways, and the ways to
0: take care of the community. So what you're saying is Colleen's grandma literally took on the state of Alaska?
1: Exactly, literally. The court case went all the way up to the governor of Alaska, who would then decide whether or not it would move on to the U.S. Supreme Court. It was a legal fight for land sovereignty, And Colleen's grandma Katie did something that Colleen does today. She reached across the aisle, so to speak, to show the governor firsthand what was at stake for the Athabascan people.
2: She said, you know, he doesn't know us. He doesn't know us. He doesn't know who we are. He doesn't know. He doesn't know us. And she invited him to come to fish camp. Governor Tony Knowles came to fish camp and then that night he spent several hours talking to my grandma about her traditional ways, hearing her stories, hearing about, you know, the ways that we've always participated in, in hunting and fishing and, and what it means to the community. And the next day he called and he said, there's no way, there's no way I can fight this anymore. I know you now. I know your story. I know your heart. I know why you're doing this work. Um, I will not fight this at the Supreme Court (laughs) and and the state of Alaska will back down.
0: Wow. (laughs) I wish I could have been a fly on that wall on that camp trip.
1: That makes two of us. If only we could have been. But here's what former governor of Alaska, Tony Knowles, had to say after his decision. I think anyone that would talk to Katie John and to look at what she does would believe that what she does is right.
2: I have learned so much about hospitality and generosity from my grandma Katie and um, my auntie Nora and my cousin Catherine and Anita and, and other other community members in that village about just total generosity to to people that you don't know. You know, many many people in this city in Seattle don't know the Native community or they don't know the homeless community, and and vice versa. I'm a I'm a board member of the Seattle Foundation and sometimes I'm sitting next to these folks who are like multi-multi-millionaires maybe billionaires I don't know and I'm thinking wow I I have to watch all of my assumptions because I don't know that. I don't know what's really in their heart I don't really know what they're thinking or what they're doing or or you know and I have to put aside my uh, assumptions and work on relationship so that we can find ways to to work together
1: Grandma Katie's resilience and the impression it has left on Colleen makes me reflect on the strong matriarchs in my life, especially my grandmas. They both worked hard to overcome their own traumas, all in the pursuit to provide a better life for their children.
0: I'd love to hear what came up for you.
1: Yeah, Jess. Well, my grandma Helen came to the U.S. seeking asylum from a civil war in El Salvador. And my grandma Lydia moved halfway across the country to start her life over after experiencing abuse. They were both single moms raising four kids far from home. As a kid, I remember spending most of my summers pulling weeds with my grandma Lily. And trust me, it wasn't because I was an angel. My mom guilted me into it. I wasn't a big fan of work or dirt. And like you, Jess, it's hot where I come from. But honestly, it was really worth it. My grandma Lily's told the best stories. Stories about what it was like growing up in Laudas, Puerto Rico. Stories about my great-grandmother, who was a musician in Brooklyn in the 1950s. And stories about my dear Tony, who I never had the privilege of meeting. Stories that she carries in her heart. Stories that I now carry in mine. In the summer of 2019, I was an intern here in Washington State on a farm. Because of my time on that farm and the time I spent helping my grandma weed, I was especially keen to learn more from Colleen about Chief Seattle Club's Native Works, Sovereignty Farm.
2: And our goal is is to grow um, indigenous food that we will then put back into our kitchen at the Chief Seattle Club. And um, we're also opening a cafe in the fall with an opening of one of our new buildings And so we're really excited about getting um, our relatives hands in the dirt um, and getting them the opportunity to learn a skill and also to provide a place for healing. There's so much healing that happens as you farm, as you grow, as you again are nurtured out there on Sovereignty Farms. We're just so excited about the opportunity for our our folks to to get to be able to literally put seeds in the ground and see growth and, and feed the community. That's the other like thrilling thing to me is like, wow, we're going to be able to grow like squash and beans and corn and some of the traditional foods from out here, camas root and nettle And we're going to be able to get these delicious nutrients into the hearts and bodies of our relatives
1: at the T-Seattle Club. We're thrilled. And for Colleen, it always comes back to her ancestors.
2: I come from people who experience a lot of really hard, hard things. Our original homelands were in Kansas and Nebraska, the Pawnee Nation, and we had a thriving community there, thriving agricultural community. And we um, moved to Oklahoma. The ancestors called Oklahoma just the translation was the hot place because it was very inhospitable. Um, many of our seeds and and the and the plants that we took with us to Oklahoma would not grow there. And along the way, we lost thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And finally, in like 1910, there was like about 600 of us left. So that's, that's who I come from. Those are my community. Those are my ancestors who have really allowed me to be in the space that I'm at in right now. And I think about them all the time. I think about what what they suffered through so that I could be here. I honor them. I respect them. I ask for their guidance in my work and know that I represent them.
1: As the executive director of Chief Seattle Club, Colleen works on issues pertaining to land sovereignty, unemployment and food security. One day, her colleague said something that really struck her.
2: And he said to me, You know, Colleen, before 1492, there was no homelessness in this country, (laughs) you know? And I I love that. I say it all the time because it's very, very true that colonization brought with it this uh, idea of what home and housing is. And we have had that one idea for, you know, hundreds of years now in this country. And so when I get to work with our homeless relatives here in Seattle, I think of them as those amazing seeds. If you're experiencing homelessness, it's hard to get stable, of course, because you're you're, you may be working, and then you've got to go and like you know work with your case manager to try to find permanent housing, and then you got to go stand in line for food, then you got to go stand in line for a shower, stand in line for a a shelter bed if you're lucky, or if you're not lucky, then you know figure out where you're going to sleep at night. And so, being homeless takes a lot of work. It's like a lot of ongoing trauma, and then there's just not a lot of free time to to do to do what you'd like to do. So. I think about within each one of those humans that we get to 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 love and to serve, like what do they have to offer if they were nurtured, if they were planted in the right kind of soil where they could grow? And a lot of that is housing. You can't grow without housing. You can't, you can't become stable without housing. You can't deal with like your trauma without secure
1: housing. Chief Seattle Club is opening a landmark housing project this October in Pioneer Square. It's called A'al, which is a Lashutzi word for home. It will be a place for urban Native relatives to connect and find stability. It's designed by Native people for Native people. It will open this October of 2021. It includes seven floors of housing and will also be a place that will provide health care and other social services for over 2,700 people a year.
0: I'm really loving the spirit of connectivity with her family, and with the people she grew up with. But it seems also with the community she lives and works in now.
1: Exactly, Jess. It's our environment that lets us thrive and be and explore who we want to be, without worrying about the basic necessities of life. That's exactly what I believe Colleen is trying to provide here in Seattle.
2: Any given night, three to 5,000 people are sleeping outside, and many others are in shelter, you know, somewhere around twelve. 12- thousand people, 12,000 people in our region who are experiencing homelessness, imagine if we could get them inside, imagine if we could get them stable, and what they would contribute to our community. They don't have a chance to breathe, to nurture, to grow when they're not in housing. So I am excited about the opportunities of getting our houseless relatives into homes, into stability, and, and what might they do? I mean, I don't know. They have, they have some solutions that we as a community need.
1: So for Colleen, it goes beyond just supporting those who need a home, or job, or food. It's about supporting them so they can support us right back. That really struck me. The idea that houselessness is more than just needing a home. It's needing time. It's needing nourishment. Time to just be, heal, time to grow, an environment everyone needs.
0: Thanks for sharing these stories, Felipe.
1: No, thank you, Jess, for listening. I've really enjoyed this process of getting to know Colleen. She's extremely rooted into the history of her ancestors and her purpose. And that clearly reflected through her work. Remember at the beginning of this episode when I was questioning how I might introduce myself in the future and how that just wasn't sitting right when I did it originally? Through Colleen as inspiration, here's where I've landed. Who am I? I'm Felipe Contreras. I grew up in Highland Park, a barrio of Los Angeles, California. I'm a grandson, a son, a brother, a deal, an artist, a farmer, a partner, and a friend. Working till the end of each day to honor the resilient, hardworking, and spirited Puerto Rican and Salvadorian people I come from. I currently work and love and am still growing on the lands of the Coast Salish peoples. And I am a producer and editor for the SeatCast podcast by Nia Taro. If we haven't already, I hope we meet in person someday.
0: Felipe, thank you so much, but also for sharing your own stories. I get to work with you pretty much every day, and I do consider you a friend, and I still got to learn some new beautiful things about you. I'm excited to hear your voice more on the podcast soon.
1: Come on, Chess. You know I learned from the best. This was fun.
0: Thanks also to Colleen Echohawk for sharing her time and her life with us for this episode. And thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, give us a review on your favorite podcast platform to help us find new listeners or consider sharing this episode with a friend. We'll be back in two weeks and we're going to take you around the world to Guyana and the Philippines. To learn more about this podcast and our work at Nia please visit our website, Neatero.org and follow niatero on twitter facebook and instagram this episode was produced by felipe contreras and edited by julie keck our executive producer is tracy rector our senior producer is jenny Sarno. our fact checker is roman lee johnson our social media manager is hannah pentelio and i am your host jessica ramirez we look forward to sharing more stories with you soon We still move like the waves,
2: we rise high, like the sun, we never
0: die, no staying quiet, we stand united.